you know, people are desperate for hope. You know, whether it was the disciples in Jesus' day, when Jesus died on the cross, or we today who maybe are for, for, for the first time experiencing a hopelessness that we've never felt before, people are desperate for hope. You know, the people, when they saw Jesus come into Jerusalem a week earlier, they were excited because they saw somebody who could fix their problems, somebody who could heal their sicknesses or overthrow an oppressive Roman government. But now he was dead and and their hope was gone. Today, people are still looking for someone to fix their problems, to to deal with um, our cultural issues, our political issues, our our health health issues like the coronavirus that we're dealing with today. In fact, many people are tuning into churches around the world hoping that maybe, just maybe, there's a, a message for them, some hope for them in the Easter that took place 2,000 years ago. And here's the deal. There is great hope because of the events 2,000 years ago. But it starts with us understanding that we have a a bigger issue, a bigger problem that needs to be fixed than what we see around us today. And if we allow Jesus to address the bigger issue, then He's going to give us the perspective that we need, the wisdom that we need, the strength that we need in order to deal with whatever life may throw at us and certainly what life will be like after this life. The bigger problem we all face the spiritual virus the Bible calls sin. And that spiritual virus not only permeated our physical bodies, this is why we can't deal with viruses to our physical bodies, but they've also permeated our spiritual selves to the point that God says in the Bible that we are spiritually dead. And we get that. So a person who's physically alive or physically dead can't interact or have a relationship with somebody who's physically alive. And we get that. But it's also true that a person who is spiritually dead can't interact or have a relationship with God who is spiritually alive. And if we remain in that condition, the Bible tells us that we will be isolated from God for eternity. And the isolation that it's talking about there that Jesus talks about is a place called hell And it's not the isolation that we have today where we're sitting in our comfortable homes with all the food that we need and the TV that we need. It's an isolation from not only God, but from others as well. Jesus describes it as a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of eternal judgment because of the sin that we've committed against God. But that's where the hope comes in. That's where the hope of Easter comes in. Because Jesus Christ, God the Son, God in the flesh, did everything that could be done to fix our sin problem. And that's what we want to talk about today with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and uh, turn to John chapter 20. And we're going to be looking at that, um, that chapter today. Uh, but let me just give you a little bit of uh, kind of a backstory to this. So Jesus has uh, been dead now for three days. He died as an excruciating, agonizing, painful death on our behalf. And he's been dead for three days. And Mary Magdalene heads to the tomb, and she has spices with her, and she's going to prepare the body. So the Jewish culture, they didn't embalm bodies, but they would lay spices on them so that it would help with the smell of decomposing bodies. 
And in John John 20, starting in verse 1, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the tomb already taken away, uh, the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's, that's John, the Apostle John who's writing here, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together. They're excited. They want to see what's going on here. Why is his body not there? And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. So John outruns Peter. He's in a little bit better shape, evidently. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as they did not for as they yet did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their homes. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems kind of strange to me. So they, they get Mary's message. They go down to the tomb, and it says that they believed. They believed Mary. It, well, what doesn't make sense to me is, if they get to the tomb to see Jesus' body is gone, you would think they would be excited, because they would think He's risen from the dead. But instead it says, they go home, they turn around, and they leave. Why would that be? Well, I, in these verses, I think there's two reasons that we see for why they didn't believe. And there are really two reasons why people today don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And the first one is this. They took someone else's word for it. They took Mary's word for it. So Mary, she assumed that someone had taken Jesus' body and so she tells them that, and when they get there, they believe. It means they believe Mary and what she said about the body not being there. So when they get there, he's gone. So they believed her report. People today do that all the time. They, they believe somebody else's report, somebody else's thoughts on whether Jesus existed or Jesus died on the cross or Jesus rose from the dead without investigating it for themselves. It might be a family member or a friend or it might be a teacher. Uh, but those people, we don't know how much they've investigated it. And so people just automatically believe them. But we can't really blame Mary because it says here in verse 9, here's the reason why they believe somebody took the body. It says, For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the, the second reason why they didn't believe that he had rose from the dead is because they didn't understand what he had previously taught on the subject. And he talked about this numerous times, about him having to die, him rising from the dead. In fact, in, in John 2, it's, John tells us this, that there's a big argument going on between Jesus and the religious leaders, and they were talking about the temple, uh, the actual building that they worshipped in. It says this, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews, the religious leaders, then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he, Jesus, was speaking of the temple of his body. 
So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. So just like Peter and John and Mary, people don't remember what Jesus said, they don't read the Bible and know what Jesus said, and so they, they don't believe it, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But did you notice what John did here in verse 22? He wants everybody to know that, yeah, when we first initially heard that Jesus' body was gone, we didn't believe he rose from the dead, but we did. We eventually understood that he rose from the dead. So look what he has to say about how that came to be, starting in verse 11. It says this, But Mary, standing outside the tomb weeping, so the guys had already taken off to go back home, she's standing there weeping, and, and so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, to her Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. So you have to kind of get this picture here. Mary is worked up. She's emotional. She's weeping. She's crying. She's looking in the tomb. She, he's not there. She sees angels. She turns around. There's a guy standing there. She thinks it's the gardener. So she's kind of emotionally uh, worked up. And then Jesus has to get her attention. He says, Mary. And at that point, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brother and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So the, the doors are shut. We get this idea that Jesus like appeared. He didn't walk. He didn't knock on the door. He didn't walk. He just appeared to them. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. Now, I just want to take a, a stop here for a moment. Now, I want to explain these verses here because um, this is kind of confusing for some people. And though it doesn't directly impact the message for today, I think it's important for us to kind of know what he's talking about here. Verse 21, um, John tells us that Jesus says, uh, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And what he's saying there, he's kind of giving us a summary of the Great Commission. And so Jesus was saying to these guys, hey, listen, as I came to this earth to draw people to God for salvation, this is now going to be your responsibility. And really, it's the responsibility of all followers of Christ, of, of your responsibility, my responsibility, that our lives are all about the gospel. It always comes back to the gospel. In verse 22, 
the disciples, it says, received the Holy Spirit. Now, we associate the Holy Spirit coming in Acts chapter 2, which He did in a very powerful way, when the disciples were able to speak the languages of a bunch of different people from around the world who were in Jerusalem. But according to John, the, the disciples received the Holy Spirit here back in chapter 20. And then verse 23 talks about this idea, if you, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven. If, if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. And it seems kind of confusing. and It's, it's a little bit difficult to, uh, to translate in from the Greek to English. The Catholic Church actually uses this as um, a way to explain why people should be um, confessing their sins to a priest, uh, which is interesting because the, the Pope just recently said that um, because of the coronavirus, we don't need to do that. We can, we can confess our sins to God directly, which is awesome because that's what the Bible says for us to do. Uh, and, but what he's talking about here is in context with this idea of sharing the gospel. And what he's saying is, as Christians based on the authority of the Bible, not based on our authority, but what the Bible teaches, what God has taught us, that if a person places their faith in Christ, we can say to them with confidence that your sins are forgiven. But if a person says, I don't want to believe in Jesus Christ, then we can say with confidence, well, then your sins are not forgiven. Not because we say that, but because God says that in the Bible. So, just a couple things there for you, um, just to kind of clarify that. Again, it doesn't directly impact our message today, but thought it would be um, informative for you. Uh, but don't take my word for it. Uh, just like Thomas didn't take the word of the disciples for it when they said they saw Jesus. So let's pick the story back up in verse 24. It says this, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, here it happens again, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here your hand, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. So, how was it that Mary, the disciples, and Thomas came to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead? Well, the answer is kind of obvious. Jesus showed up. Jesus revealed himself to them. First to Mary in the garden, and when she realized it was him, she just grabbed hold of him and hung on to him. In fact, to the point where he had to basically say, listen, you got to let me go. I'm not finished here. i got work to do, and you need to get back to the disciples and share with them what I said. The, the disciples were able to, to look at his hands and his side and, and investigate for themselves. And, and to Thomas, you know, we call him Doubting Thomas, and it's kind of a, a knock on him for why would you even doubt but here's the deal with Thomas. He wasn't going to be like Peter and John and take Mary's word for it. He wasn't going to take the disciples' word for it. He wanted to see and confirm for himself that it was Jesus that was before him. So when he was able to see the wounds and see Jesus, then he said, my Lord 
in my God. Thomas went from being a doubter to one who is convinced because he didn't rely on just the words of the disciples, but he personally investigated Jesus himself. And Jesus was able to reveal himself to Thomas. As we started out talking today, we said people are desperate for hope. The disciples, they started out the day desperate for hope, thinking that Jesus had died, was dead and that somebody had stolen his body. But he ended the, they ended their day hope-filled because they were convinced that Jesus had risen from the dead. So, so let me just ask you this morning, are you a doubter or are you convinced of who Jesus is and what he has done? If you're a doubter, can I challenge you to do something? Can I challenge you to investigate for yourself? Don't be like Peter and John and and Mary at the beginning of the day. Be like Thomas. Someone who's going to take their doubt and not just live in it, but then to investigate for themselves who Jesus is and what He's done for them. Too many people take the words of other people to heart and they, they just will believe what somebody else says without ever investigating for themselves. We, we see it all around us. We see it today, even with the virus. People willing to just take people's words for it without investigating it thoroughly. You know, you wouldn't take someone's word for it if you were buying a house. Or you wouldn't take somebody's word for it if you were buying a car. So why would we take somebody else's word for it when it comes to something so serious as our relationship with God and our future when we leave this earth? Now, Jesus isn't here physically anymore. And so, how is it that we investigate Him? Well, I have a few suggestions for you. First of all, you can research people's questions about the resurrection. I mean, you just really kind of just think about these. For instance, was Jesus really dead? There are some people that call it a swoon theory, that Jesus didn't really die, uh, that He just kind of passed out and it looked like He was dead, and so the Roman soldiers took Him and, and put Him into the tomb. But here's the deal. Again, you have to research this. But the research that I've done on Roman soldiers, for instance, is that they're professional killers. They crucified people regularly. And they knew when a person was dead. Not only that, but if they didn't follow through and do what it was that they were supposed to do, ensure that somebody had died on the cross, their own heads were on the line that they could have been certainly severely disciplined, if not their lives taken. And so they were serious about their job. They were good at what they did. And so from my perspective, as I've studied things out, I would say, yeah, Jesus had to be truly dead. Then there's people say, well, someone did take the body. Okay, well then who and why would they have taken the body? You have three basic options. You can say the Jewish authorities took the body. All right? Why? Because, see, they didn't like Jesus, and they didn't want this movement, this follower of Jesus movement happening. The fastest way for them to keep that movement from starting would have been to produce the body. But they were unable to do that. Well, then the other group would have been the Roman authorities. They're in the same boat. They don't want another uh, Jewish person rising up and starting a revolution against them. And so... If they had taken a body, the best thing for them to do is produce the body. Here he is. He's dead. So that doesn't make sense. The third would be the disciples themselves. 
that they would take the body. But there again, why? Why would they take the body? Well, because then they would act like that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, let's say they did that. The problem is, if they did that, they know that they're lying to everybody, and, and there was more than just the 11 involved. So that means over 11 people, potentially 100 or more people, knew that it was a lie and gave their lives for a knowing lie. It doesn't make sense. They weren't getting any benefit out of it in this earth. They weren't making money off of it. It doesn't make sense they would take the body and then die for a knowing lie. So you could do that. You could just kind of think through the questions that people have. Secondly, you could read the books of people who used to be doubters who are now convinced. Two that are uh, very well known, uh, at least in, within Christian circles, uh, is a guy named Josh McDowell and another guy named Lee Strobel. Uh, Lee Strobel was a journalist, but they were both atheists, and they both wanted to disprove who Jesus was. And so they went to work investigating Jesus in order to, to disprove who he was. The funny thing is, by investigating and writing down their investigations, they came to believe who Jesus was and be convinced of who he was. A third thing, and a pretty simple thing, would be this. Just start reading your Bible and let Jesus reveal himself to you, to your heart, and to your mind. In fact, uh, finishing up this chapter, this is what John tells us starting um, in verse 28. It says, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God... Then Jesus said to Thomas, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who do not see and yet believe. Therefore many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written, so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Just start reading the Bible. Read the Gospel of John, for instance. His whole purpose for reading, or for writing this, was for us to, to know that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, Jesus, in speaking of meeting our, our physical needs, says this in Matthew chapter 7. says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. And if, so if Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to meet your physical needs, you just ask, you just seek, and you just knock, and, and I'll provide for your needs. If he's going to provide for our physical needs, then it makes perfect sense that he's going to provide for your spiritual needs. The first need being for you to know who he is and to convince you of who he is as you read his word. See, ultimately, it takes faith. But all of life takes faith. We, we put our faith in drivers every day who are texting and driving. We believe they're not going to cross the line and go head on with us. We put our faith in a government that says, hey, trust us. Stay in your homes. We'll take care of you. And we trust them. We do what they say. How much more should we trust Jesus Christ? Everybody else is fallible. But Jesus Christ is perfect. He's good. And He, he died for you. Well, maybe you've tuned in and, and through our time together this morning, Jesus has revealed himself to you and, and you're, you want to move from being a doubter to somebody who is convinced. And what that takes is simply you confessing that 
and con- like Thomas did, confessing that Jesus was the Lord and God. Don't let another Easter go by without giving your life to Christ. Experience the forgiveness that He wants to give you. See, when we do that, when we place our faith in Christ, when we confess Him to be our Lord and our God, the Bible tells us that God forgives us, forgives us of our sins. He um, restores our relationship with Him. He places His Holy Spirit in us so that now we have spiritual life. Now we can have interaction or relationship with God. He meets our needs here on earth, and when we die, He'll take us to heaven. And if you've tuned in before or if you've attended our church, I do this and say it's as simple as the ABCs. I think it's the easiest way to do that. And, it, and A means to admit, just to simply admit that, that you're a sinner. We're all sinners. We've all screwed up. And so we just simply admit that we're a sinner and that we need Christ to save us. B is to believe. That word believe means to pull, put your full weight of trust in someone or something. And in this case, you're putting your full weight of trust in what God said. And God says, Jesus died your eternal death and hell for you. And when He rose from the dead, He, he defeated your sin and He defeated your eternity in hell. And then you confess that. You simply tell God that. that Heavenly Father, I need You to forgive me my sins and I'm asking You to do that. And I believe You when You said that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I'm trusting in Him and Him alone for the salvation and for my salvation. In fact, what I'd like to do is if you, if you want to make that decision today, I'd like to um, offer to pray a prayer that you can pray. The prayer doesn't save you. Me praying for you doesn't save you. But you praying these words, saying these words, is just demonstrating to God from your heart to His heart that you want Him to be your Savior. So just pray a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and that I'm separated from You. But I also know and I believe that Jesus died my eternal death in hell. And that He rose again to defeat my sin and to defeat my death. And I'm trusting in Christ, in Christ alone for my salvation. Please forgive me of my sins. In Jesus' name, Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to know about it. And So if you go up to ohiograce.com forward slash card, and what will pop up on your screen is a card, and you can just fill that information out. And as you scroll down, you'll see, I want a pastor to know that I trusted in Christ today. Or I have other questions about a relationship with Christ. And there's a, a comment section as well. I'd love for you to fill that out, and then I'll get that information to me, and I'd love to be able to contact you and help you grow in that. Last thing, let me just talk to you Christians really quickly. You know, celebrate today the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. But as Jesus said earlier in this chapter, we celebrate Easter every day by being about the God-given mission that we have to share the Gospel with other people, to let other people know who Jesus is and what He's done for them, and to draw them to Him for salvation. Just like Jesus came to draw us to God for salvation. Well, happy Easter. I hope you guys have a great day today. I want to encourage you to tune in to uh, our Fremont campus's live stream. It has a uh, full uh, of music and a message. You can go to ohiograce.com and find it there. Or you can go to YouTube and just search Ohio Grace and you'll find it there. 
But it's great to have you guys here today. I appreciate you guys listening in. Praying for you. Looking forward to when we can be back together as a church family. God bless. Have a great day today. See you.